Hey guys, welcome to the final third. Thank you for downloading this episode. We have an amazing show for you guys today. We talk all about Messi and Ronaldo crashing out of the Champions League, both of them for the first time out of the round of 16 since 2004, 2005. Also talk about the US men's national team under 23s, their Olympic qualifying tournament that's coming up this Thursday. We also talk about the MLS home openers that just got announced, which ones we're excited for which ones we're going to be watching when it comes around. As always, don't forget to follow the podcast at Final Third Show on Twitter and or Instagram, and follow us wherever you listen to us, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and if it is Apple Podcasts, give us a rating. And yeah, enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to The Final Third. It is our news and predictions show, and it's going to be a great one. We have one of our favorite guests so far coming on for the predictions. We got Jordan Wiegand on the podcast. Uh, Before we get to anything, always remember to uh, subscribe to us on wherever you listen to us, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Final Third Show. My name is Adrian Spura. I'm everyone's favorite Minnesota United, U.S. men's national team and women's national team. I'll have everyone know. And West Ham United fan. I'm joined by Jack. Yeah, and I am a fan of Chelsea, Minnesota United, Atalanta, uh, the French national team, and uh, the Slovakian national team. I'm wearing their jersey right now just to support. I don't know why. They're, they're not playing a game yes. near uh, like anytime soon, but why not? In your heart, in my heart, they're playing. They're playing. You know, and, and obviously, Jack is a fan of them because of one of our favorite players on Minnesota United. We got Grey Goosh, the Slovakian. Hopefully, going to take uh, the Euros home back to Slovakia. That'd be, <laughs> that, that's not going to happen, but that would be, that'd be, <laughs> it would that'd be, be pretty, pretty cool. cool. Yeah. So, the <laughs> now, now I'm just thinking about that and how like insane that would be, like how just how much that would just destroy soccer as <laughs> oh we know God. it. Like that. I'm, I want that to happen, but I want a lot of things to happen, and one of that is this show to start. <laughs> we, got a, we got a great show. As always, our format is we go over the big stories, the five big stories, both on the field and off the field in soccer news. Then we're, gonna, we're skipping the going Jack in time segment. We got so much to talk about, and our, our, our other segments can't even speak today. Uh, so we're going to skip that section. Then we're going to go into the U.S. Men's National Team corner. Talk about all things happening with the U.S. soccer abroad and at home. We're going to talk about uh, last week's predictions, the big games that happened last week. And then the big games are happening next week. And we're joined by uh, with Jordan for that. And all right, let's get into our big stories. We got Jack taking on the first story. Jack, take it away. All right, so we're actually not going to go to the big stories right now because... You know, the worst thing in the world happened again. News dropped on Monday as I was editing the podcast. But, you know, it's good news. So uh, we're just going to talk about this real quick. So we didn't talk about this in the episode because we recorded this on Sunday. And that news is Valencia's 18-year-old midfielder, Eunice Musa, has decided to commit to the U.S. men's national team. <laughs> it's great news because he is a multinational, not even a dual national. He was eligible for England. Ghana and Italy and he decided to go with the red white and blue here in the USA you cannot spell Eunice Musa 
without USA. And this is an amazing get. He hasn't had the best seasons uh, with Valencia, kind of being a bench player as of late, but he has an immense talent. He showed really well in the friendlies uh, last November against Wales and Panama. That's where he got his debut. And, you know, he showed really well there. He had great synergy with both Weston McKenney and Tyler Adams. Yunus Musa was played, you know, more as a winger with Valencia and more of a central role with the USA. And wherever he's going to play, he's going to be an amazing player. Again, he's still only 18. And the way this happened was that this was a 20-month uh, ordeal to get him on. You know, since he signed with Valencia, uh, Estevez, one of the U.S. men's national team assistants, have been in contact with him. Greg Berhalter in constant contact with him and his family. And that just really speaks to the commitment that Berhalter has with reaching out to dual nationals, reaching out to make the team really good, get a good atmosphere. And that really shows that he's committed, you know, because Greg Berhalter, you can say whatever you want about his tactics. And I'm someone who is pretty pro Berhalter. I understand he's not the best coach in the world, but I, I have liked his tactics, his, his coaching ability since his time with the Columbus crew. But we have to admit that his recruitment, his man management, his ability to create a team atmosphere and get people to buy into a system is really unmatched from anything that we've seen in soccer, in, in international soccer. And getting the likes of Sergino Dest, we recently learned that Siabachu was joining us, and now Yunus Musa, you know, he has the ability to get people to buy into his vision, which is something that is insanely important when you're an international coach, right? So that's something that we can be very proud of with Greg Burhalter. That's something we can, you know, get really excited about with Yunus Musa because you know, when you have the likes of England and Italy and Ghana calling and you choose the U.S. national team, which is still an unproven product, that's pretty impressive. Now, it doesn't say that much about how our federation is actually being run, how good the team is currently, because, again, I said this, I tweeted about this when we uh, found out we, we might be losing Efra Alvarez. It's not necessarily that we, it's an indictment on our federation if we lose a player, right? Because every player is in a different place. They might feel like they want to uh, represent one country over the other just based on how they're feeling as like a citizen of that country they might be you know just wanting to get the most amount of playing time like when antonio michael antonio of west ham uh decided to represent jamaica he did that because he wanted to get more playing time hopefully ex uh, experience a world cup you know it's more of a representation of how just good the recruitment is for one national team and obviously our recruitment is is very very good and so we shouldn't really take this as like the USA is definitely going to win the World Cup because, you know, uh, he understands that we are like the best country in the world right now. It's it's really means that he bought into the system. We have a coach and assistants that are really good at reaching out to players. And, you know, that is what we should be taking. That's the big picture view of this entire situation. Something that's really exciting, something that's. Hopefully, we're going to see more of, you know, Greg Berhalter doing her, his uh, Nick Saban, uh, a University of Alabama coach kind of, kind of deal, you know, recruiting all of the best dual nationals and also reaching out to all of the, the Americans out there because that's going to be something that puts us over the top 
getting the players that we could be getting. Like that's that's going to be an amazing thing. Uh, and with that, you know, I, I f- feel like that is enough. Let's get on with the rest of the episode. I've already cut in too much. I'll let Jack take it from here. Yeah, so this past weekend we saw a very different start to the game between Crystal Palace and West Brom because for the past, you know, almost a year now, we've been used to players kneeling with solidarity in uh, with the Black Lives Matter movement uh, before every single game. But this past weekend, Crystal Palace's winner, Wilfred Zaha, became the first Premier League player to not take a knee before the game. And at first, it might be easy to go in, you know, being out, outraged by this kind of thing. But when you think about his reasoning, it makes sense at, at, some, at, at some point. Because he says uh, his decision to stand at, kick, at kickoff was public knowledge for a couple of weeks now. He, he believes that it's just becoming something that they do. And it's not actually being followed up by any action. And what he wants to see is a lot more action being taken to actually deal with racism because as all of this is happening you know it it's uh there's been racial abuse online of players there's been a ton of other incidents that have been terrible and show that it's not really making progress necessarily by just ticking boxes as he calls it and saying that mm-hmm. you know uh try it masquerading as this sort of thing doesn't make as much sense in if the Premier League isn't going to take any action. And honestly, I think that's a decent reason to to go about that. Because he, he is kind of right. The league, while they've done all of this stuff and given off all of these uh the these words about about activism and stuff, they haven't really done much for it. They right. they've just been a lot of talk recently. And I I like that he did this. I you know I, I support the the Black Lives Matter movement and I, I'm I'm happy to when they started taking a knee, but at the same time I do I do feel why Zaha feels this way because they should do more things like more tangible things and for that I've got to respect him. Yes, I I also respect him. We talked a little bit in our racism protest and politics in soccer deep dive like a couple two weeks uh, ago. If you haven't listened to that yet, go give it a listen. But finish this episode first, obviously. Uh, but, you know, we talked about uh, the difference between being performative with your activism and actually doing something. And they have been taking a knee since uh, the George Floyd murders and protests back in June when they came back for Project Restart. And, you know, they've been doing it. And when it happened the first time, the first couple times, the first uh, three months that it happened and then into the new season, it was you know, pretty impressive. It showed a lot of solidarity. Now that we're nine months removed and we're, you know, they're still doing it and not a lot of progress has been made off the field, not even in terms of like societal racism, but just with how the Premier League is dealing with racial injustice. It's it's just not enough. And for anyone uh, wondering, Zaha is uh, from the Ivory Coast there's it, it, obviously a big difference between like someone who is African saying uh, that taking a knee isn't as effective versus I don't know uh, some white person. They might have a little bit of different uh, incentives to why they're saying this stuff. But he is coming from a place from his own personal experience, his lived experience, saying that 
it's just not as effective as it needs to be. I also do, you know, stand with him. I, I do agree. What's to come from this? I yet not know. But I do know something. And that is where I'm going to be on April 16. And that's my with my butt right on the couch watching opening night of MLS. Because MLS is coming back. It's happening, everybody. It's actually happening. After, like, what, four <laughs> months of no MLS action, we're back. Yo, MLS dropped the every team's home openers for the 2021 season. And here's just some ones that are, you know, in my mind, pretty significant. Uh, we have opening nights. We have April 16th, which is still, what, a month away, so it's still a while. But opening night, really exciting. We got two pretty interesting games. We have Houston Dynamo versus San Jose, which on its surface might not be that interesting. But then you also realize that Houston Dynamo exists because the original San Jose team relocated to Houston. So there might not be as many tensions, but you know, it's still an interesting game. It's the first, very first game of the season. That's very interesting. And then a game that Jack and I are going to be very interested in. That's Sounders, Seattle Sounders FC versus our Minnesota United FC. And it's the rematch of the Western Conference final where Minnesota United blew a 2-0 lead to lose 3-2. Literally, the last game that we played was against the Seattle Sounders. First game back, Seattle Sounders, same place, literally, Lumen Field again. Very, very big implications for our season. Other than that, we got for the week one, weekend one uh, matchups, that's April 17 and April 18. We got Club de Foot Montreal versus Toronto FC in the, I believe it's called the 405 Derby or the Canadian Classic, whatever you want to call it. Each side has a new coach. Chris Armas versus, uh, and Jack and I talked about this, Wilfried Nuncie. Jack? Nuncie? I'm never going to get that. Uh, but it's an insane game because it's one of the biggest rivalries in MLS. And two new coaches, that's going to be a hard ask for them. It's going to be interesting. We have another rivalry match, Orlando City versus Atlanta United. It's an older rivalry. I say older in a relative term. But there's new players and new coach, Heinze in Atlanta United. They got Martinez and Sosa versus Pato and the rest of the people in Orlando City. It's going to be a crazy rivalry matchup. LAFC versus Austin FC. It's the inaugural game for Austin FC. And they get to go to Bank of California Field or Stadium or whatever it is. And they're playing against Bob Bradley and Carlos Bella. It's going to be a hard one. Nashville SC versus FC Cincinnati. Reformed FC Cincy with the likes of Acosta and Brenner versus MLOS playoff Cinderella story, Nashville SC. It's going to be an interesting one. They're, they're pretty uh, local rivals, I would suppose. So I'm really excited to see that one uh, play out. We have Inter-Miami versus LA Galaxy. New coaches in Phil Neville and Greg Vanny. We got the Beckham connection. We got a big star connection with Chicharito versus Hig Higuain and Matuidi. Really big, even though they... Both kind of suck right now. <laughs> Whatever. They, they're they both very flashy. We got Crew, Columbus Crew versus Philadelphia Union. We got the refurbished MLS Cup winners adding the likes of uh, of Molino versus Supporters Shield winners who admittedly did have a bit of an offseason where they lost some pretty important players. Best 11, Mark McKenzie and Brendan Aronson. So hopefully they can come back. We have Vancouver Whitecaps versus Portland Timbers early season Cascadia Cup. And later on, not weekend one, but later on, we have FC Cincinnati versus Inter-Miami, where they're going to open up West End Stadium on May 16th, and Austin FC versus San Jose Earthquakes, where they're going to open up their own stadium, Q2 Stadium, 
on June 19. Jack, which ones of those matchups do you think really stick out to you the most? And I think I know which one you're going to say first. Ah, uh, the revenge match is the, the one that's there. Yeah. I, Minnesota United versus Seattle Sounders. It's going to be the most interesting kickoff to a season just because, you know, Minnesota United still have never won at Lumen Field. Uh, and it's going to be such an interesting one because Minnesota United, they're hungry. They want revenge. Uh, they, I, and I, to be fair, I want them to get revenge as well. So uh, I, I'm looking forward to that one. Additionally, I'm looking forward to Austin FC versus LAFC just because mm-hmm. I think it's interesting that it seems almost every, or well, I say every year, but for the past two years, uh, we, we see on the opening day an expansion team facing LAFC away for their first game. Uh, we saw it with um, Inter-Miami. Uh, had that last uh, last season, and now Austin are going to go there. But I'm just excited to get a look at Austin FC for the first time to see what they look like, uh, kind of size up their odds of doing well in the season. And th- those are kind of the big ones. I also am looking forward to uh, the Canadian uh, the Canadian rivalry between Toronto yep. and Montreal. But I I, I think those two, those first two are the bigger ones that I'm really looking forward to. Jack, why don't you take us to someone who's not going to be enjoying their time in the in the soccer world, at least after the Euros? Well, I think I think he is going to be. But uh, Yogi Love uh, is going to quit as manager of the German national team after Euro 2020. You know, he he's been with them for quite a while. Uh, he's been their head coach for 15 years. Whoa. He won the World Cup with them. Uh, his overall record in 189 games is 1-120, lost 31, and it doesn't say how many draws on this site I'm looking at, but uh, it looks like around 40 draws. So a, a decent record overall uh, as the manager. And it's kind of an interesting time for them because right as a lot of the players who won them the World Cup are getting phased out of the first team, you know, Thomas Muller, Manuel Neuer... Uh, you, you've got you've got these big names that kind of help them a lot, kind of phasing out of the of the starting eleven and taking more backup roles. And it looks like Yogi Love is going to be continuing that sort of thing. He's going to vacate his position. He, uh, you know, he asked uh, to cancel his contract. It mm-hmm. it wasn't it wasn't something like they wanted to fire him, but it it looks like it was a pretty mutual agreement and. You know, uh, it's going to be interesting to see who replaces them, uh, given, yeah. you know, the last World Cup was not a great performance by the Germans. No. Uh, and, like, following up their their uh, world championship with that performance was not great. Um, but it looks like it potentially some of, some of the people that might take over, Jurgen Klopp, potentially. Maybe. Uh, Hansi Flick for, from Bayern Munich. Uh, Ralph Ragnick is apparently Maybe. in the in the in the running, but we'll see about that. We're not quite sure, but uh, overall, I think people are going to look back at Yogi Love's uh, tenure as the manager of the German national team with quite a bit of success because they've done he's done quite well for that team and brought them back to the top. Really, yeah i i I really don't know why they kept him after the 2018 World Cup. I'm always of the mindset that that national team coaches should only get 
probably at max two cycles, so eight years. He he did great. He he got them the World Cup. He got them the Confederations Cup in 2017. But after 2018, you kind of have to. He's kind of put them in a, a weird spot, and it's not even his fault. It's also uh the the German Federation. It's it's a year and a half out from the World Cup right now, and they need to find a coach that can get them back up and running, back to their former selves, back to where they know they can be in. At that point, once he leaves after the Euros, a year and six months. So that's always a tough ask. Who do I think she's going to replace him? I think they should go for a man called Jurgen Klinsmann so they can take him. He, he can he can sink their ship again. I don't <laughs> care. Speaking of sinking ships, we got two sinking ships, and they're known as Messi and Ronaldo. Oh, that's harsh. That, <laughs> that is, but I know we got to get the clicks. We got Messi and Ronaldo. They're out of the Champions League. And the big context here, they're both very dominant. Messi, I think, has won the Champions League four times. Ronaldo, five times. But for the first time since 2004-2005, neither of them are in the Champions League quarterfinals. Barcelona got walloped 1-4 to against PSG at home. And managed a 1-1 draw in Paris. Leo Messi decided to miss another penalty in a crucial moment. Uh, that could have propelled them towards a comeback. Juventus, on the flip side, lost 2-1 to to Porto away from home and won 3-2 at home, losing only by away goals 4-4. to I must say, the free kick that sunk them was the most worst, terribly defended free kicks. Jack and I talked about this. Like, literally... It was really bad. First of all, McKenney, it was a soft foul, but he probably shouldn't have fouled there to set it up. The wall was bad. It seemed like they were afraid... To get Ronaldo uh, turned away from it and got yeah, Ronaldo turned away like right there. If he didn't, uh, game over. Juventus probably could have won. And then, and then the goal, Juventus goalkeeper. I don't, what was it? Wojciech Szczesny. Okay, okay. Yeah. I, I was like, I don't think it was Buffon. I don't think it was <laughs> him. I, I know he starts on the group stage matches, but but Szczesny, like he should have saved that. He he parried it, but not enough, and it sunk them and. People are criticizing Ronaldo because he just didn't do enough, even though he got an assist that match. And, you know, now the question is, now that both of them are gone, is it an end of an era? Is their dominance over? Because many people are blaming Juventus' lackluster Champions League showings on Ronaldo. They have gone out, I think, in the round of 16 or whatever in the, for the past three seasons that he's been here. In the four years preceding that three years, they made the final twice. Losing both of them, unfortunately for them. But now that Ronaldo's here, they seem to be struggling. Uh, it's kind of dumb to criticize him. He's the, the competition's literal top goal scorer. He's won it five times. But he's getting criticized. Same with Messi and Barcelona. There's something to be said about over-reliance and their ceilings now that they're in their 30s. But they're still among the best. Ronaldo could be moving back to Real. Uh, but Real themselves are disputing that. But the, this comes from people questioning if Ronaldo going to Juve is a bad idea, if they're over-relying on him, if he's not actually the big-game player that he was with Real. And we all know about Messi and Barcelona. They haven't won a Champions League since, what, 2015? And so people are saying that they're over-relying on Messi. They're paying him too much. Messi's actually not adding enough to be in the squad. People are saying Messi to PSG, Messi to City. Who who knows where either of these players are going to end up? So, Jack, I have a question for you. 
doesn't have to be that long. I've I, I, two follow up questions too, so really shouldn't that be long? Uh, is it the end of Messi slash Ronaldo era, or is it too early to say? That's my first question. Well, I, I think it's starting to be the end of, of the era. Like, it's the beginning of the end, if, if that makes sense. I, I don't think it's over yet getting there. All right. How, how many years do you think do we consider them dominant forces? That's not a follow-up question, but I'm just asking. Maybe, maybe one to two more years. It depends on how, on how much longer they play. Yeah, after so, the World Cup, after this next World sure, Cup, I think sure. it goes away. R- Ronaldo would be, at that point, 38. Messi, 35. That's, yeah. Yeah. Okay, follow-up question. Where should their next moves be, if they move at all? Uh, Me- Messi, I feel like, has to get out of Barcelona. It's, it's, too, it's, okay. it's, it's getting too much. I, I think City or PSG are the best options. City's probably the best for him. And uh, Ronaldo? Ronaldo, honestly, I think he should stay at Juventus. I don't think he's been bad for them. He's okay. been great, uh, in the league at least. It's just that in the Champions League, everyone expects him to carry them, and he just can't all the time. And that's a problem for that for the rest of the team themselves. It's not right. Ronaldo's fault. And my fo- final follow-up question, and if you have any more uh, ending thoughts, you can also add that on. But who's going to be the players, player or players, that are going to benefit the most by the end of the Messi slash CR7 era? Well, we've already we've already really seen that. It's it's it, it's really Mbappe and Holland. They're they yes. both play in the same positions that they did, uh, and they. They look like incredible players. They look like uh, how Messi and Ronaldo were at their ages. And I think that they are going to be the two dominant forces. And especially since they both could be moving uh, into La Liga and, or the Premier League, it looks like it could definitely be that sort of rivalry. We keep on talking about sinking ships. Here's another one. <laughs> yeah. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. But Chris Wilder and Sheffield United part ways. Sheffield United likely to get relegated. Jack, tell us the story. Yeah, so uh, Sheffield United and Chris Wilder parted mutual on mutual terms. Uh, there were rumors for 24 hours before that was actually announced, but you know they they're 12 points drift of safety. They have 10 games left. I, I mean, actually, when this was written, they had 10, 10 games left. Now they have even less games uh, to go. Yikes. They have nine, uh, and you know Chris Wilder had 200 league games in charge, over 200. And, you know, he, he did really well. He, he got them promoted from League One to the Premier League. In their first season, he did pretty well with them. Uh, however, the, this season has just been a disaster. They've won four games yep, uh, out of basically. 29. And that's just not good enough. They, they didn't improve in the offseason, really. They bought Rian Brewster for some reason for $30 million, And they... And brought Aaron Ramsdale, who got relegated with Bournemouth before, so I, I'm not sure why that was their number one pick. But it just didn't seem like uh, it, w- it was going to work out. Uh, and apparently also tensions rose between Wilder and the club owner uh, because the club wouldn't buy any new players in January. Which, you know, Chris Wilder, he's going to be remembered as one of the best coaches for Sheffield United in their modern era because of what he accomplished with the club. And it's it's sad that like you know, it ended in such a sour note with such a bad season. But the question that comes after this is, who's re- like reasonably speaking, who is really going to be like ah, I would like to take charge of a Premier League club that is definitely going to be relegated down to the Championship next season. 
And I, I honestly have no idea who will take over, but I think it would be really funny for some reason if Frank Lampard somehow got that job. I just think that'd be great. Be, I think it would be really interesting. I, it would probably be a good idea for him to get like experience in the championship more at least than one season. Uh, but I, I honestly don't know who really would want to take on that kind of club right now who are definitely going down. Yeah, I, in my mind, I think they should pull something with Schalke. Uh, we kind of criticized Schalke a little bit for firing their manager a bit too early. But in this sense, maybe Chris Wilder uh, departing uh, was the right move. I think they either don't hire a coach until next season or they hire a coach who knows that they're going to get relegated and is already planning for that and is planning to get them back up next season. Whatever the case is, wish them the best of luck. Unfortunate to have a club legend leave your club, but it is what it is, I suppose. My heart goes out to Chris Wilder and Sheffield United fans on the messy breakup. Let's go into the real quick section. Now that we're done with those five stories. We got Acosta, previously of DC United, moving to FC Cincinnati. Kind of a, a crazy move, seeing that FC Cincinnati are uh, usually dog water, but now they have the likes of Brenner, this up-and-coming South American striker, now Acosta. And now they have like a, a pretty, honestly, decent uh, starting lineup, other than the fullbacks. I think that's their weak point. But if you look at their uh, attacking players, they have Brenner, we have Amaya playing really well, some other players that I'm forgetting. It's something that could be adding up to a potential a playoff caliber team whether that happens for sure we have yet to see but it's something that i'm very excited for we're going to be covering fc cincinnati dc united and all the other mls teams in our uh conference by conference mls previews later on in march and april uh, jack why don't you give us another real quick story out of montreal yeah well we already mentioned this a little bit but Montreal have a new head coach in Wilfred Nancy. Uh, he was the assistant coach uh, under Thierry Henry. And, you know, he's been with the club for a while. It seems like he's going, he, he knows the team pretty well. So hopefully that this will, this will be a good way to kind of keep the project going because he probably had pretty similar ideals to Henri given that yeah, he was the sure. assistant coach. So uh, we'll see if he can continue that because it looked promising last season. Hopefully that continues for Montreal after, you know, struggling for the past two or three seasons. Yeah. And we have one last real quick story out of not MLS, but this time out of what is it? Wales and the English Football League, League Two. League Two. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I just wanted to point this out because I really like this team. Newport County. Uh, Kevin Ellison scored for Newport County against Morecambe at 42 years and 18 days old, which is one of the oldest professional scorers in English soccer. And there's a pretty cool wow. story behind this as well, because he scored against Morecambe. The manager there uh, basically froze him out of the team, forced him to train with the U21s uh, because of his age, and then just released him, uh, which, you know, fair enough, but apparently he treated him really badly. So when he scored, he went up to the manager that fired him and released him, made him train with the U21s, and laughed in his face and told him, you, you made a big mistake, man. Uh -huh. And I think that's just hilarious, and it shows that no matter what, like, to a lot of these players, age is just a number. 
and Kevin Ellison, pretty pretty cool scenes there uh, to score at 42 years old in professional soccer. So a pretty cool, a pretty cool uh, story there. Nice. That reminds me of that uh, that one Japanese player. I'm forgetting his name. He plays for Yokohama FC in the yeah. J League. He's like 54. I don't know if he's, he scores goals anymore, but you know, sc- scoring uh, as 42 year olds pretty impressive. Playing at all once you get to the 40s, yeah, exactly. And especially 54, that's insane. So good on good on Kevin. Hopefully, you know, hopefully we we can stay that fit once he gets that age. <laughs> But now let's move on to the U.S. Men's National Team corner. We're skipping going Jack in time because we've got so much to talk about. And our section with Jordan is very long, a very good discussion. Uh, we'll start out with the U.S. Men's National Team corner, talking about all things U.S. soccer abroad and at home with the Olympics. The final 20-man Olympic qualifying roster has been announced, and it's perhaps not the most creative of midfields. That's the main criticism that we are having on Twitter is that it just doesn't seem like there's going to be a lot of technical spark out of these players. And when you look at the players that weren't included, that could have been included, so not like big players like Pulisic and Reyna, but more of, uh, you know, Williamson and Tessman. Those are our notable exceptions. They could have added a lot. And going off that, Williamson, Tessman, Amaya, Pomacall, Clark, Alvarez, they all could have added some creativity that we might be lacking when we look at our current crop of players. We had Ibobasi, out of the Timbers, he was snubbed, despite being a constant contributor for his club. One of the best strikers that we've had, and he's not included. Robinson, Bellow, and Brooks Lennon out of Atlanta could have been provided, uh, could have provided some defensive cover. However, there is the the downside that Atlanta United did have a CCL match and they couldn't get released for that. It's a side that favors athleticism and flexibility over technical skill and potential. Like Dotson of Minnesota United, who we are, are fond of, he was chosen because he's a central midfielder and a right back who's kind of no nonsense guy. And he got chosen over a more typical creative eight like Pomacall or Clark or Williamson. Now, when we look at actual players, the most likely contributors are the likes of Ochoa, Freeze, and Marchinkowski, which are goalkeepers that will likely get all minutes because none of them really stand out as, you know, the standout goalkeeper that should be starting. Sam Vines is definitely our left back. He'll be very good stay-at-home defender. Gladden Pineda will be likely be our center backs. Would have liked to see Robinson, but unfortunately that just didn't pan out. You will be will be our number six. He'll be really really good at it because he'll have covering this you know backline really well. Cardoso, Mihalovic, and Perea will work their way up as either a sixes or eights for that uh, midfield three. And Giannis, Soto, Ferreira, and Lewis will be the ones in our front four. Look out for those players because they're going to be the ones who will win us this Olympic tournament if they can. We have Olympic qualifying in general. You know That starts this week. We play Costa Rica next Thursday, March 18th. Dominican Republic 21st and Mexico March 24th. Mexico brought on a great U23 team. Uh, Costa Rica as well with half their team coming from Alujuense, best team in Costa Rica. They're very cohesive. And in my opinion, USA have to throw everything at the first two games, Costa Rica and Dominican Republic. If we win both these games, losing to Mexico isn't a big deal. You do not want to be going up to Mexico, playing in Mexico, having to win that game in order to advance. That's not an ideal situation. This team isn't the most creative, but it should be able to qualify. And we'll be talking about more about these games later on as it happens and as uh, we find out if we qualify or don't qualify. 
So that's it for the Olympics. We move on to the general players. We have Orlando City turning down a $10 million offer for Daryl DK from six big six clubs in the Premier League. Clubs like Liverpool, Chelsea, and Man City. And they, they being Orlando City, they want to uh, move up on that deal. They want to increase the deal. And more power to them. MLS teams don't just exist to help the U.S. men's national team. They want to get the most money for Daryl DK. Let's be honest, Daryl DK is worth it. He has been dominant with Barnsley. I think that they should really push for a higher fee. And, you know, who knows? Maybe he will actually end up on Liverpool. Unlikely, but maybe. You have Jordan Siabachu committing to the USA. Says he's ready for the call-up if it comes. Just a reminder, he's dual national between France and USA. He's had 12 goals and 2 assists in all competitions for the Swiss Super League's young boys. Who are 1st and 17th points above 2nd place Servettes. So they're really running away with the league and he is a big reason why. We got him, and unfortunately we might be losing Efrain Alvarez, an 18-year-old midfielder from LA Galaxy who is joining Mexico for the next few friendlies. He won't be cap-tied, so we can still potentially call him up, but he has trained uh, with the U.S. in the December camp. But in my opinion, he's not good enough to right now to make either country's best 23, so I'm not really quite sure why Mexico decided to call him up. Maybe it's just to spite us, who knows. Next, we have Josh Sargent, who makes it 3-3 three three with a goal against Armenia Bielfeld. It was a tap-in, to be honest, but it's still a really important goal to get them the win. He leads the team in both expected goals and expected assists. He wasn't able to score against Bayern Munich this weekend, but still, he's been on a tear. Good for Josh Sargent, good for us. Des McKenney and Adams get bounced out of the Champions League. Those three players were very, very likely to go far in the Champions League. They go out with with uh, Barcelona, Juventus, and RB Leipzig, respectively. Dest played well, made up for the last leg. Uh, right wing back rolls really suits him. Almost scored a worldie that hit the post. Unfortunately, Barcelona couldn't get it done. McKenney should have started. He would have made a really big difference in a lackluster Juventus midfield. They fell 4-4 on away goals. Adams was there as Liverpool got smacked. Uh, Liverpool smacked Leipzig, sorry. Down 4-0. Problem was more Nagelsmann's tactics than him, whatever. Pulisic starts in a kind of a right wing back role, more def- more laid back role uh, for Chelsea in their 0-0 draw against Leeds. And it turns out like that's not even the biggest story with uh, Chelsea and uh, Christian Pulisic. It says that he will not push a move until the summer. And most likely not at all, as Fabrizio Romano reportedly uh, said that he will not push for a move at all. He'll try to fight for a place at Chelsea so you know good for him for having that mentality Fabrizio Romano also called Pulisic like a professional who doesn't want to kick up too much dust with Chelsea and even more praise for Pulisic Cancelo Man City's uh left or right back uh uh said that he was one of the hardest wingers that he's had to go up against uh so hopefully Pulisic can figure that out Brian Reynolds got a, his Roma debut coming on for 30 minutes and Roma's shock 0-2 loss against Parma. Not a great debut, not much to say. Miazga scored an own goal against Anderlecht's 1-2 loss against Genk. Again, not much to say other than he sucked uh, in that game, unfortunate. And lastly, some minor news. Gio Reyna's back in the squad playing 19 minutes in Borussia Dortmund's 2-0 win against Hertha Berlin, where he hit the woodwork, uh, almost scored a goal, unfortunate. That's it for the US Men's National Team news. Check us out next time for more news about U.S. soccer abroad and at home. We're moving right along. We kind of sped through that, but we need to 
we need to get through all the things that we need to talk about. So we're going to kick it into gear for last week's predictions, where we talk about the biggest games that happened last week, minus the North London derby. Jack, why don't you kick us off with Leeds versus Chelsea and also explain the scoring system. Yeah, so the scoring system, as always, is you get zero points for getting nothing right, 10 points for getting the overall side who wins right, and 20 points for predicting the exact result correctly. So with that out of the way, kicking it off with Leeds versus Chelsea, uh, the scoreline of 0-0 doesn't really tell the full story of this match. It was a really exciting 0-0 draw, really end-to-end stuff. The match took place at Elland Road, which looked to be about the quality of a recently harvested field that hadn't been maintained for several years. Both sides had excellent opportunities, with both sides having the ball in the back of the net at one point, only to be called for offside. Uh, Leeds almost scored one of the most bizarre own goals I've ever seen as well, with Alyovsky battering it against his own player, and it almost looped over... it. I mean, it did loop over Melier, and hit the crossbar, and bounced right into Melier's palms. It was... It was very, it was very, very shambolic defending. Um, but Chelsea were very lucky and certainly glad to have Edouard Mendy between the sticks as he pulled off two saves that are contenders for the Premier League save of the season, in my in my opinion. Uh, Leeds looked to be in trouble, though, as Patrick Bamford limped off after only 30 minutes in. If he's up for a short period, that'll be devastating for the Yorkshire club. Uh, and AJ and I were both off the mark on this one. AJ guessed zero yep. two to uh, Chelsea. I guess one to two to Chelsea. So we both get zero points. But uh, moving on from there, I'll let AJ talk about his favorite team and uh, maybe not his favorite result of the season. Yeah, my favorite team, Manchester United. Let's go. No, <laughs> just kidding. In the Premier League, we had Manchester United versus West Ham. Uh, we just this this uh this afternoon actually when we're recording this, and apparently. Virgil van Dawson is so good at heading goals, he scores on his own team. He scored an own goal, unfortunately, off of Fernandez free kick. Not not even like uh, that great of an own goal, right? It is like uh, it, it really almost looked like he meant to do it. So maybe it's a match fixing. I don't know. I don't know. But really, the only person that could have match fixed this game was was David Moyes himself, because he came out way too conservatively and practically gave the result to United. United played on Thursday, a very tough game against AC Milan. They're playing again on Thursday this week, so we're in between two very big matchups for them. And what does David Moyes decide to do? Start Noble and Ben Johnson, two players that aren't known for being that that forward. Like we can't play Lingard, obviously, because we can't play him against uh, the his parent club. But get get Fornals on there, and if he was not injured, I don't even know if he was. But Ben Rama surely wasn't. So, like, in the tactics were very conservative. They didn't really get out there and try to take Manchester United to the ropes. We just kind of played for a draw. We played not to, to lose. And eventually, like always, you end up losing when you do that. Conservative football is great if you have a plan and if it makes sense. It didn't make sense. We lost 1-0 to zero off that own goal. I said a 1-1 draw. Jack, around the same wavelength, got a 0-0 draw. We both get zero points, unfortunately, off of that, off the mark for two games in a row. Jack, why don't you bring it home for Werder Bremen versus Bayern Munich? Not bring it home. 
bring it to a result that we actually did get right, is what I meant to say. Yeah. So take it away. So Bayern Munich were in complete control of this match with goals from Leon Goretzka, Serge Gnabry, and Robert Lewandowski. Uh, That's they were right. all dominating until uh, Saar came on. Saar was disappointing for Bayern fans after coming from Marseille earlier this season. And his mistakes allowed Ver Werder Bremen's uh, Niklas Fulkrug to get a consolation goal in the 85th minute. And the big story here is that Lewandowski, uh, he is the, he's in the running to break the Bundesliga record for most goals in a season, which he seems to be in the running for every season. The yeah. record is 40 goals. He's on 32 with eight games left. He had an XG of 1.78 and could have scored two to three goals in, in this matchup. Uh, he'll have to maintain more than a goal a game for the remainder of the season to break the record. Honestly, if anyone in the Bundesliga could do that, it's either it's him or Holland. Him. Holland yeah, is the only basically. other one who could even come close to challenging that sort of run. But uh, AJ gets 0-3, to three and he was so close to getting that right. Niklas Fulkrug came oh, through grr. against him, getting him 10 points. But I saw the light. I believed in Werder yeah, right. to get a call. <laughs> I, I just guessed, to be fair. Uh, but I guessed 1-3, to three, giving me 20 points for that. So yet another correct result. Uh, I, I seem to I, I seem to accurately predict like if I get points it usually is I predicted the actual score and not anything else. It's very strange, but uh, past that we're, we're gonna go to a goal filled game down to a bit of a, a well I mean a, a game with zero goals. So AJ, why don't you take it away from Monaco versus Lille? Well, it sure was a a game. It, it was a game that happened, yeah. And I said that it's likely to be a conservative game, and boy, was I right. Jack said it was going to be a goal fest, and boy, was he wrong. Monaco dominated in possession, number of shots, accurate passes, and chances created. Yet, neither side, Monaco and or Lille, could really muster anything up. The only source of excitement for me was from Lille's goalkeeper, uh, I believe it's Maignan? Mignon. 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 <laughs> Mignon, come on. How, why are you... Don't spell it like that. I think it's gonna be Bignon. Uh, versus, uh, he saved 91st minutes on Monaco's Jovatic. Did I get that one right at Jovatic, least? Jovatic, but yeah, yeah, you you were pretty close. You're pretty close. I'm giving myself that. I'm giving myself that. Mignon, come on, man, spell it right. I'm just kidding. I I, I respect you. D uh, whatever. But well, what I will not give myself is our results for this prediction, because. I said 1-0. Kind of close, kind of close. O almost there, almost there if it wasn't for Mignon. Jack, 3-2 for Monaco. Uh, kind of off the mark there. It was a 0-0 result. Ended up getting us both 0 points. Well, you know, we're kind of on a bad run here, Jack. For sure, we, we should have gotten Dortmund versus Sevilla, right? right? So, uh, give us the 20 points. Just explain what happened. Oh, yeah, uh... Well, Erling Holland is very good, is the takeaway from this game. He scored a nice open net goal in the first half, and but the real drama started in the second half. Erling Holland in the 48th minute scored a spinny, uh, scored a spinning outside of the foot goal, but it got called off because he fouled Sevilla's Fernando on his way to the goal. However, a penalty was then given to Dortmund because of a Let's foul go. by Sevilla's Kunde. Holland stepped up to take the penalty, and Bono, Sevilla's keeper and U2 frontman. Uh, had an amazing <laughs> double save, leading him to taunt Holland for missing the pen. But, you know, if you've seen the Terminator movies, you know you never taunt a robot. 
And exactly. Bono was off his line, and VAR re- uh, forced them to retake the penalty. Holland smashed it in on the retake, and he taunted Bono back. An absolute robot, a machine. Uh, and, you know, it was, it was looking like Dortmund were going to win the home leg. But then in the 96th minute, Youssef El Nassiri scored, uh, well, he scored two goals. Uh, for one in around the 70th minute, if I remember correctly. And sure. then scored one in the 96th minute. Ugh. But it ultimately wasn't enough. Dortmund headed to the quarterfinals, winning 5-4 on aggregate. Uh, I guessed one to two for Sevilla, which was incorrect. Zero points. AJ was thwarted by another late goal. Yeah, two to one. He guessed he was so close, but it will be zero points for him as well. Like literally, like you know, you're gonna lose. Don't even, don't even try to score. Ninety, ninety sixth minute. Come on. I was thirty seconds away from winning this one. Unfortunately, I didn't win at all. And honestly. I don't know if we should be proud of this. <laughs> this is the lowest scoring <laughs> predictions ever. To be fair, to be fair, some of these weren't necessarily like out of out of the blue. Like Dortmund versus Sevilla, like it was a late goal. Uh, some other ones were were late goals. So, some of them, like uh, you know, it, it's possible that w- we were in the margin of error. But unfortunately, I ended with ten points. Jack with twenty. We only got one result right, and that was. The, the Bremen Bayern game, which anyone could have seen. <laughs> so, Jack, I don't even know the record you're at. All I know is I'm losing heavily. I'm losing very, very heavily on a terrible streak. You're kind of on a hot streak. So, how are you feeling? Well, I'd like to. I, I'd like to dedicate this win to Niklas Volkrog. Uh, okay. Thank you so much <laughs> for an 85th minute goal. Really appreciate it. I'm a huge Werder Bremen fan. Always have been. I don't have a Dortmund jersey. I swear. Uh, you know, thank you so much. Ah, well, whatever. Well, I, that's all I have to say. I'd say whatever. Let's hopefully, for me, my sake, let's go to a new era of predictions, starting with this week. We got Jordan Wiegand of Stoppage Time Sock Show, of Stateside Soccer Show, a fellow podcaster. He decided to come join us and talk all about uh, the, the big games that we have coming up. So let's head over to that segment. So that's enough with last week's predictions. This week, we once again have a guest on, and it's a very exciting guest on the show this week. We have Jordan Wiegand. Uh, Jordan is a co-host on the Stoppage Time Soccer Show and the Stateside Soccer Show and a host of other uh, non-soccer podcasts. He was actually one of the first listeners outside our friends and family to listen to our podcast and AJ and I are both big fans of his shows as well. So we're super excited to have him on as a guest this week. So Jordan, why don't you tell us a little bit about your soccer fanship and how you got into podcasting about the beautiful game. Thank you for the intro. Exciting, exciting guest. I didn't know I qualified as that. <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> um, my soccer fandom really started in 2006 world cup. Um, I know I'm I'm probably like way older than you guys at this point, but I I was a freshman in high school uh, when the 2006 World Cup happened. So I uh, started you know, my dad brought home FIFA World Cup 06 and I had a PS2 and we played that uh, and I started learning the rules that way because really it wasn't on TV that much on like basic cable at that yeah. point. 
So, uh, yeah, I started watching that. And then uh, the World Cup in the summer, I got a Michael Ballack Germany jersey. And um, he moved to Chelsea that summer. So I became a Chelsea supporter because of Michael Ballack. Nice. And, uh, you know, then I started going to MLS games around me. Um, my dad's a DC supporter. I'm a Philly supporter. So uh, it's been some fun times. Uh, and then we just started our podcast stoppage time last August. And in October, I was like, you know what? I want to do one kind of focused on like a splinter off uh, stateside soccer show. Um, focusing on American uh, soccer. And that's when I, I did it for by myself for the first 16 episodes before Logan asked to join me as well. So nice. It's been a long trip here, but it's awesome. Yeah, that's great to hear. Did you just uh, did you just make the podcast last year as like was that just like like a quarantine project or were you thinking about that for a while then? So we all met at Disney World. We were uh, college roommates at the Disney College Program. Me, nice. Logan, and Matt. And we uh, Logan wasn't into soccer at that point, <clears throat> but Matt and I were. So we. Uh, we we were always looking for a podcast idea, right? So yeah, at times we thought we'd do a Disney podcast, but there's millions of those as well. So uh, I did start a Disney one with my sister. Logan started one with by himself. <laughs> I would have Matt and Logan on at times when my sister couldn't be on. And eventually, like during quarantine, we came up with a podcast called called Quarantine and Chill, uh, which we would talk about random topics. We did a whole episode based on soccer, like how we started following the sport each. And then uh, we were going to be start doing Mandalorian recaps for nice. my Star Wars podcast. That's defunct, right? So I have so many of these. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then we get to uh, Logan was like, why don't we do a Premier League one? And, you know, we were all kind of like, sure. And that was right. Uh, right after Project Restart. So. Mm -hmm. They were getting ready to come back for Champions League, and we were like, okay, we'll launch it with the new Champions League, like, finishing those off, and, and that's where we started with those, and it's been fun. It's been, uh, you know, every Monday, we pretty much sit down and record, going over the weekend games and everything like that. Nice, nice. Well, it's a very good show, uh, both of your shows, and all of the multitude of shows that you <laughs> have or have had. Uh, the too many, yeah. yes. I I wouldn't say too many. I think I think you need to add a little bit more, actually. So, uh, and with that, if you're gonna edit them, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> ooh, well, considering that I always fall behind editing these ones, I don't know how that's yeah, no, I get that's it. gonna go. Uh, but seeing as you are, uh, not just a Philadelphia Union fan, I I thought that was interesting. Seeing as your father isn't a Philadelphia Union fan, but yeah, uh, seeing as you are a Chelsea fan, same with Jack. We have. Way too many Chelsea fans on here. <laughs> we thought we'd start off the show with this match, Chelsea versus Atletico Madrid. We covered the reverse fixture a couple weeks ago at this point. Uh, I don't even know who predicted that one correctly, if any of us did. But That would be me. Oh, that would be me. Okay, well. I, actually, no, I didn't. That was Casey. Never mind. Yeah. I almost took credit <laughs> for some reason. I was trying to make a credit there. <sighs> tried i tried i was gonna say most of our guests are the ones that actually get the leg up on us not we usually aren't the ones to get it correctly so jordan Some pressure may, on me yeah. yeah you might be 
the one to really make the guests run away with it. I think they're two one and one. So if you can get the third win, that would be huge. So Jordan, let's actually throw it to you first, then we'll throw it to Jack. But Jordan, Chelsea versus Atletico Madrid. <laughs> who is taking this one? Uh, I have Atletico two nil. Yeah, and yeah. Whoa. Okay, I actually wasn't expecting that. <laughs> okay. What? Hey, I'm not a homer. All right, I I don't I don't just pick my team. What What makes you say that then? Uh, I think Atletico is going to have to come out. Uh, they're they're not going to be able to play the defensive style that they've been playing. Uh, you know, in the last match, if they want to move on. Um, I know they've been kind of on a downturn recently, but um, I, I, Chelsea's been good defensively. But uh, I don't think Chelsea have enough firepower to to really run away with it either. So uh, it is really a, a toss up, I guess. But I'm not very confident in in this Chelsea team when it comes to uh, winning the games. Especially, we can even beat Leeds. So there, you go. I'm, I'm not feeling too confident. So I'm going to be wrong on this one, I think, though, as well. So uh, hoping I am. All right. Well, Jack, fellow Chelsea fan, what are you making of this matchup? Do you agree? Is Atletico Madrid going to take this one away from Chelsea? It's actually really funny because I I predicted the exact opposite. I'm predicting 2-0 to Chelsea, and there's a few reasons why. Uh, Chelsea have yet to concede a goal in Stamford Bridge since Tuchel came in, and I'm not expecting it to be much different just because... Uh, you know, Chelsea rested a ton of first of their favored players at the weekend. They rested Rudiger, Thiago, uh, Kovacic, uh, Werner got a little bit of rest, Marcus Alonso, and even more were rested at Leeds. So I think that Tuchel's probably going to start a lot of those names who are very sound defensively. Chelsea might have a bit of a disadvantage given they're without arguably their best player, Mason Mount, due to yellow card accumulation, but... Given that Chelsea are just on this amazing run and, you know, Atletico failed to score against Hatafe, who played with 10 men for 25 minutes, I think Chelsea will take this leg with a 2-0 win. And, you know, Atletico, like you said, Jordan, have to open up a little bit because they have to attack and score. Mm. And I think that's going to leave them open. And if Chelsea start like Pulisic, uh, Werner and Hudson-Odoi, I think they could just run in behind and take them down. Okay, okay. I actually went the complete opposite of you guys. You guys had two goals, either on Chelsea or, or Atletico Madrid. <clears throat> I had them sharing the goals. I had a 1-1 a, a draw between the two of them. I think both of them kind of have been playing more on the conservative side, which is a bit strange, seeing as both Chelsea and Atletico Madrid weren't playing necessarily as conservatively, as defensively, as uh, compared to like earlier parts of the season. I don't think Thomas Tuchel's going to want to overstretch their tactics and allow Atletico space both physically and metaphorically. So I think he's going to try to just kill off the game as much as possible throughout the 90 minutes. 1-1 draw, not even an exciting 1-1 draw, one of those boring 1-1 draws that we forget about in a couple of weeks. So so no matter what happens, one of us is going to... Get 10 we got points. it covered. Yeah, yeah. We <laughs> Someone's got, right. We got the bases completely covered. But now we might go to a game where I feel like, unless Jack has something up his sleeve and who knows, we might actually be in complete agreement. I'm talking about Real Madrid welcoming Atalanta in Madrid. 
Jack, seeing as you know, you really wanted to cover this one because you are pretty fond of Atalanta. Let's let, let's have you go first. Do you think Atalanta can usurp Real Madrid's uh, lead from the first leg? I I do. I I, I do think they will actually. Um, I Real aren't on their best form, and they're still missing a lot of key players to injury. Uh, they barely got a 1-0 win against Atalanta in the first leg, who played with 10 men for 75 minutes. Uh, they, they had a pretty fantastic goal to break that deadlock, but I think an 11-man team of Atalanta playing for the full 90 minutes beats Real Madrid's injured, like, second-string team for the most part. Uh, you know, Luis Muriel, the striker for Atalanta, he's on fire. He's the third-best goal scorer in Serie A. And Mario Pasalic, who was out with an injury for a long time, he scored the only goal Atalanta got against PSG in the quarterfinals when they crashed out last season. And he scored two at the weekend. Uh, and uh, he's back on fire as well. And meaning Atalanta probably won't miss the suspended Ramo Freuler at all because of Pasalic's inclusion. So I'm going to be bold on this one. And I'm saying Atalanta win this leg 3-1. to one. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go I'm gonna go bold I'm gonna back Atalanta you know I I really rate them and I and I think they can do it if any team has the mental grit to beat Real Madrid at home in the Champions League it's Atalanta that is a that's pretty bold I I, I will say I don't think I don't think even I can uh, sip the Kool Aid that much but <laughs> I I have been wrong many many times more times than I've been right actually so. If, if you're right, I will gladly eat my words because I would also like Atalanta to win. Yet, I don't think they will because they're entering Real Madrid's home and Real are finding form. They haven't lost since their 1-2 defeat against Levante in January and Benzema is just playing too well to ignore. Atalanta are good, I will admit, but they're fourth for a reason in Syria. They seem to struggle against actually top level side so we have the likes of Inter Milan Napoli Lazio and Juventus they have in the past struggled against teams like that they can get it done with lower level uh, Serie A teams but once you get to an actual challenge like Real Madrid they seem to falter I'd even take if I'm being honest Real, Real Madrid's B plus A minus team against Atalanta's A team just because okay. of just the disparity between those two levels I'm going with Real Madrid 2 to Atalanta 0. Wow. And Jordan, we kind of sprung this game on you a bit late, but do you have any thoughts on Real Madrid and Atalanta? Yeah, I uh, look, I like Atalanta. I like their style of play. I like uh, when smaller teams prevail. I don't like Real Madrid. It's fair. But <laughs> in... in uh, I, I'm going to have to go with the Madrid team again. I just went with them with Chelsea Atletico. I'm going to have to go with them. Real versus Atalanta. I had the same scoreline, 2-0. All right, 2-0. Jack, it seems like you're in the minority here. What's <laughs> going on here? Do, do, you just, uh, do you just want Atalanta to win that much? I do, yeah. I'm, I'm going to will it into existence. That's what's happening here. I'm, I'm hoping they hear this. They're going to say, okay, we've got a fan. We've got to do it for him. Exactly. That, that's what's happening here. Yeah, yeah, you are going to be the reason why they win if they win. I like it. I if they win 3-1, I'm going to claim that forever. Just <laughs> okay, okay. Well, we're moving on to 
a, a kind of game that we haven't covered yet at all on this show, and that is an Olympic qualifying game, a youth national team game. It's the US men's national team under 23s against Costa Rica's under 23s. They start off their Olympic qualifying tournament in Guadalajara. They're in a group with Costa Rica, Dominican Republic, and Mexico. This is their first game next Thursday, and there's a lot riding on this line. Uh, this is actually maybe the U.S. men's national team's first like game of note since, what, the Gold Cup, the Nations League uh, group stages? It might be a youth team, but it's still pretty important. There's a lot of people talking about it on Twitter and in the U.S. men's national team space. Jordan, we're going to start with you. I don't know how invested you are in a bunch of these kids, but what do you see in this starting matchup in the Olympic qualifying tournaments? Um, so I've been, you know, watching the U23s every time that they try to qualify for the Olympics uh, <laughs> since 2008, the last time they did. Um and uh it's it's been every year you know every time every four years it's uh, i think this is the time we qualify and i'm actually worried i'm i'm a lot worried okay. about this squad uh you know i i know some players were left out for sporting reasons some are left out due to the teams not releasing them i'm worried about the defense a bit uh, worried about the creativity a bit but I do think that they have enough to get past Costa Rica and get the three point, you know, like move on to the next uh, to the next um, game here. But uh, I have them as a two one over Costa Rica. Two one. OK. And you said you are worried. I, I need to know, do you think that they're going to qualify for the Olympics? In my heart, I say yes. My head, I say Buckle up. I'm not so sure. Ooh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Ooh. Well, in that case, you know, kind of, kind of a, a dark tone. And you know, given the squad and given the squad that Mexico and Costa Rica are bringing, that might be actually warranted. Jack. Yeah. I know you're not uh, the biggest U.S. national team fan. More casual. As a casual fan, what do you think of this game? And what do you think of their chances of qualifying? Well, I think it's going to be tough for the team just because, you know, it is their first big game in a long time. Right. Uh, and, you know, l like Jordan just said, the creativity in the midfield isn't really there. There were other options they could have gone with uh, that could have brought that. But I think they should still win this. Uh, I, I say that knowing next to nothing about the Costa Rica U23 team. <laughs> but uh, the squad they have is still full of experience in in at least like games played like they have a lot of good mls players in uh one of my favorite players from minnesota united hasani dotson i think is in is in that squad as well so uh you know i i think that they should have enough to get past costa rica i think there will be some defensive scares here and there but i'm gonna go for a 2-0 win okay to start off the qualifying campaign wow i, I think can, can i yeah, go ahead. Can I just say something to it? So the reason I'm a little down, I think, too, is I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. The, the way that I see the U.S. men's national team Twitter uh, currently at where they're saying we're going to win 2026. Obviously, I want to win 2026, 
But you look at teams like Belgium that had, you know, that Dark Horse squad in 2014 uh, that everybody thought would do a Dark Horse run to the to the final and such. But we don't even have players at that caliber yet. And you can't rely on all of these youngsters to turn out, you know, um, talking about when they move on from the U23s to the to mm-hmm. the national team senior, because I've lived you know, so many of these people where they're like, oh, Josh Gatt. Remember Josh Gatt from like Molda? Yeah. He's he's going to be great. Yeah, Minnesota he, United legend, no. actually. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, or, you know, Breck Shea going to Stoke or whatever, you know, like <laughs> all these players that we thought were the next wave. And I understand that we're kind of, you know, riding this wave now of like McKenney playing well for Juventus and pull six at Chelsea and you get all those players. But, uh, I just want to kind of preach caution to not build us up because you know what? We thought we were going to qualify for the Olympics easily four years ago. Yeah. So just, just a little worried. That's why I'm a little worried. You know, I've kind of seen this cycle go round and round and I do think we're a better squad now, but what I keep telling my friends too, is that I wish we had at least one senior player uh, on the national team, senior national team that has been around longer like really yeah. the only one we have is brooks everybody else is like this yeah young player that's going to hit their prime in 2026 and that's a little worrying yeah it's it is concerning that our most senior player is not even in his 30s and he's he's the one that we are really relying on for the mature side mm-hmm. of the game i only started watching the u23s and t- paying attention to them last cycle for the 2016 olympics and you know, even then I was, I was already pretty disappointed. I was, I was disappointed with the roster then. I was, I, I was like, I, yeah. I didn't know how many college players we could, we could potentially call up, which was at the time, the norm, you know, I, I will say we, we have improved. I know people mm-hmm. complain about the, the creativity and going off Jack's point, like we have a lot of experience out of Ewell, Yanez, Lewis, Ferreira, yeah. and Soto. So in, in my heart of hearts, theoretically, I think, that we should be able to make it. You know, but that being said, Mexico's side, very strong. Costa Rica's U23s, very strong. There are so many standouts from the domestic league that kind of make the MLS uh, standouts that we have kind of pale in comparison when you, when you see that we're, we're still not taking the best in MLS. We're still missing Robinson and Tessman and Williamson and Ibobasi, people who can make a real uh, difference. I was listening to Scuff podcast just this morning, and they brought up like seven out of the 20 players for Costa Rica come out of Alujuense of Costa Rica, which mm-hmm. is like the, the best club in that uh, league. Like they are cohesive. And even though we might be the stronger side on an individual level, I'd say Costa Rica is the stronger side as a unit, which makes qualifying and this game in particular very very difficult i'm gonna go with a conservative very conservative like it might just be a penalty goal the way that we win this a 1-0 win and dominican republic i'm feeling confident on mexico if we lose 3-0 i'd be like yeah i mean that's kind of Mm -hmm. that's kind of how how it goes so you know maybe we're not that optimistic about that maybe we'll get proven wrong but that's kind of how the cards crumble right now. Yeah, I will say that, you know, we should qualify 
I would, you know, is is how you should look at it. But the issue also comes in that we've missed so many of these as well that like it's hurt. Ultimately, it's always hurt the men's national team. Uh, you know, if we would have made the Olympics in 2016, some of those players could have took that experience to then help us qualify for 2018. And ultimately that didn't happen. And we just kind of lost a whole generation due to that as well. Yes. Should qualify and will qualify are two very mm-hmm. different things. But now let's go on to a more lighthearted game, I suppose. And that's Leicester City versus Manchester United. FA Cup. What is this? Quarterfinals? quarterfinals semifinals? Yeah. I don't even know. All right. Cool. I don't. I haven't been paying attention ever since uh, West Ham got knocked out. So, uh, whatever. Jack, Leicester City versus Manchester United. Who's coming out on top? Well, this is a super interesting game because it's second and third in the league, facing off in the FA Cup quarterfinals. Uh, you know, I I think that this is going to be really close because I I say that, but it, it I feel like there I feel like there's only one way that this should turn out just based off of other factors. In the last three games, Leicester have scored eight goals, including five this past weekend against Sheffield United. Uh, United have scored four in their past three games, which is not great by their own standards. And one of those was just an own goal, which is not exactly how they would have liked it to liked it to go. But uh, and add in that this that (laughs) this next week, United have an intense must win Europa League game uh, away from home against AC Milan and I just think that like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is going to put the emphasis on the Europa League instead of the FA Cup I think that's what he's going to do because yeah, honestly it's a smarter move it gives you it gives you a, a better chance of getting Champions League even though he's pretty much guaranteed to get it and also you know it, it gives you more prize money anyway uh, but because of that I think Leicester win this one, uh, two to one. I, I believe Leicester are at home as well at the King Power. Uh, it, I I can't pronounce it right. Ianacho, Ianacho. I I I know I'm butchering that name, but uh, he he seems to be on some fine form right now. Uh, I I think that Leicester should win. This. All right. Well, Jordan, who who do you think comes out on top in this FA Cup quarterfinal matchup? Uh, <laughs> I actually have Leicester City as well. I have them winning 3-1. Uh, I don't, you know, don't really have a reason. I, I mean, I've looked at the stats. They've never beat United in an FA Cup match. They've, uh, <laughs> you know, they've, uh, it, but I, I like the way that they've been playing this season. Uh, I'm trying not to let the 5-0 victory <laughs> this weekend really influence me here. But, you know, as you said, United have barely scored. They had a lot of nil-nil draws in there as well. And I think this trophy means more to Leicester, as you alluded to, Jack, with um, United probably wanting the Europa League more. I think that, um, you know, Leicester has been building something with this team the past few years. And I think if they're able to bring home an FA Cup and make it further into the FA Cup and have a shot at it, I think that that will show that this is working. Um, you know that uh, the Brendan Rodgers experiment is is working. All right. Well, I I guess I'm the odd one out. I have Manchester United winning this, and I just like say, how soon do you guys forget that United was the one that beat City's uh, unbeaten streak down to the ground, back down to earth? I mean, 
That's a Darby yeah. though. That, I mean, you can't it's really take different. that. Okay, okay, okay. I'm I'm sorry. I I just personally, I just believe that Manchester United just have the resiliency to do this. I think. Do I think they have a deep squad? No, like not particularly. Do I think they have the most talented squad? Not particularly. But at the same time, Leicester City and Manchester United, those are, you know, as good as Leicester City is, I think those are two different levels in the stratosphere. Uh, to that point, United haven't lost to Leicester City in their last seven meetings. Like it, it's, it's been a historical thing the past couple of, of seasons. Leicester City have regained form, rega- uh, winning their last two matches. They have Vardy back and firing. They have, I'm also going to but- butcher this, Ihan Nacho. I mean, he was on fire, obviously, last game against Sheffield, getting a hat-trick. But when you really look at it and you compare these two teams, where they have been in the past season, where they're at right now, and you ask yourself, like, is Leicester City good enough to challenge Manchester United consistently? Like, they, they might be able to beat them on any given Saturday. But when you look at it, like, on the average, I just think United have more talent. And I feel like this... Maybe I'm crazy. I feel like this is the safer pick, picking Manchester United. So I don't know. I'm going to go with two to one in favor of Manchester United. I don't know. Well, what are the odds that Bruno gets a penalty? Uh, I'd say, can I say higher than 100%? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I, I will definitely say that we got Celtic versus Rangers. I don't think, Jack, have we ever covered a Scottish team at all? I mean, on this Briefly last now? week, just because we talked about Rangers winning the title, but like, I, I not not before, no. All right. Well, now we are because this is the biggest game in the Scottish Premiership. This is the Old Firm Derby. Uh, two teams that just are completely at odds with each other. But now the flip is the the script is flipped. Now usually it's Celtic who are running away with the league and beating down Rangers. Now Rangers have completely run away with the league they are confirmed winners they're gonna be they're gonna get the guard of honor from celtic players uh this match that's gonna be one of the most tense guards guards of honor i think i'll ever see but rangers you know to their credit they are here completely off of merit rangers have won their last three matchups against celtic they're undefeated this entire season being one of the most dominant sides to win the competition they've only conceded nine goals for an ungodly 68 goal differential. Steven Gerrard and Rangers, in my mind, are going to end the season off with a bang. If not simply because I want them to go completely undefeated, I think that would be really cool after Celtic have won nine in a row previously. I'm going to go with a a scrappy 0-1 win for Rangers. Uh, Jordan, do you follow uh, the Scottish Premiership at all? uh, What what do you think Uh about this? Not like I used to. I mean, I used when it was on Fox Soccer Channel uh, back in the day, and like Bedoya was there, and yeah. you know, like Bocanegra or whoever else was there at the time. Um, yeah, I would watch them um, occasionally. Uh, yeah, I have Rangers two uh, nil. Uh, I have, you know, Celtic has not scored against uh, Rangers this season in the Premiership, and with Rangers being so good. Uh, I can't see them being stopped. And, uh, you know, of course, they're probably going to have a letdown now and Celtic's going to win. But um, (laughs) I think, you know, when I look back at the score lines, they've won either 2-0 or 1-0 
against them in the last like year, year and a half. So I'm, I'm going to stick with a 2-0. All right. Well, Jack, bring us home. What is your prediction for Celtic versus Rangers? I, I'm just going to say Rangers are going to win this one. Uh, they can make history All right. by winning the division without a single loss, which means that they'll go even on invincible seasons with Celtic. And that's got to be a big driver Ooh. for them because, you know, uh, Celtic fans, you know, I'm sure I'm sure uh, they're pro- they probably like Arsenal fans did uh, rub it in the face of everyone else that they had an invincible season. Rangers are going to want to do that as well. Uh, and they, they've only conceded nine goals all season. They, and I don't see Celtic, at least this Celtic team, stopping Rangers. I'm predicting a Gerrard masterclass uh, incoming, just as Rangers just tear apart Celtic 2-0. to zero. I know that's not really tearing apart, but I, I'm going to go for a 2-0 win as well. Okay, and that marks it for our prediction section most of our guests end up winning or at least tying us so jordan can really can really uh win this one for the guests jordan not feeling confident <laughs> really like how, how do you feel about your predictions so far oh uh not not so confident uh right now I, I, rangers okay that was pretty i was play, i tried to play it safe you know it's my first time I heard you say before on the show about how the guests have been doing so great uh, on the score points, you know, so I, I was like, I got to bring I got to bring it home for the guests. Uh, so I'm trying to play it safe here. All right. Well, Jack, you've been kind of on a tear recently. Do you think that this is going to be what are your second win against the guests? Are you confident? in I that? I mean, I took some risks. It's going to it's going to come down to if Atalanta uh, come through for me. If, if they if they win, then I I'm feeling pretty good. But if not, then it's pretty much over. I think at that point. So uh, we're we're just gonna have to we're just gonna have to hope for um another a, a little bit of a miracle from Bergamo. All right. Well, I'm to be honest. I think this is the one I finally win. I know <laughs> I haven't won since like week four, but I think this is the one that that sets me over the top. I'm feeling. I think I played it safe in every single uh, matchup. I, I, I'm not my usual uh, uh, <laughs> risky self, so I'm feeling pretty good. And with that, Jordan, we'd like to thank you for coming on the podcast. It's great to have someone who's also very involved in the soccer world come on and talk about the predictions. Do you have anything to plug? Where do I start? Uh, yeah, I have uh, Stoppage Time Soccer Show, which is Premier League based, uh, as you mentioned earlier. So. That's on Twitter at Stoppage Show. Stateside Soccer Show, all about uh, MLS, U.S. Men's National Team. Uh, we're gonna we're doing team by team re- uh, season previews, where we're getting guests from either other shows or journalists, you know, coming on to um, help us break down each team. We're finishing the Western Conference uh, on an episode that released on uh, the fifteenth of March, which with which was with Seattle. And we're starting our Eastern Conference uh, preview. And then, you know, uh, other than that, I just really have the Marvel uh, podcast I have right now as well, which is To the Infinity Saga and Beyond. We just broke down all of WandaVision and we're getting set to break down Falcon and the Winter Soldier. All right, cool. Well, again, thank you for joining us. It's great to have you on and we hope to have you again on the future. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, again, thank you for Jordan for joining us. 
We really appreciate him coming on. We're also going to have him on for this Thursday's deep dive episode. So make sure to listen to that as well. Jack, that ends our historically long podcast. Jack, how are you feeling about, about, you know, where we're, where we're at? Uh, you know, we wanted to have Jordan on for the, the week 10 episode because that's number 10. But we have him for number 11. It's been about two months since we started. Do you have anything to say to the, our viewers about uh, how far we've come and what they should do about maybe following the Twitter accounts? Yeah, well, as I, you know, we're, we're thankful for all the positive responses we've got. We hit 350 downloads uh, Let's go. today. So that was, that was super cool. We also hit 60 followers on Twitter. Let's go. So it's, it, it's been a pretty great week, a good way to end our uh, final exam week, I guess you could say. <laughs> uh, so, you know, as always, like I always say, follow the Twitter, follow the Instagram. Both of the tags are at Final Third Show. Uh, we're posting on there a lot. Uh, we're, we're posting memes. We're posting, we're posting hot takes. It's, it's fun. We love interacting with people on there, hearing your takes on, on uh, different things. And, you know, follow on there. Subscribe to the podcast as well. Uh, and thank you so much for the support. Yes, thank you indeed. It's been a wonderful, wonderful ride so far, and it's going to be a wonderful ride for many months to come. Don't forget to follow us, like he said. Follow us on Twitter. You know, we've been posting a lot of uh, great polls and stuff. They're getting a lot of uh, replies. I got One tweet, they got 27 replies. So jo- go join the, the bandwagon. Go tell your friends about the show. Go tell your dad about the show. We're going to be back stronger, faster. Harder than ever. Yeah, it's quoted Daft Punk. What of it? We're going to be back this Thursday for our deep dive episode with Jordan Weekend. We're going to be back same time, same place for our news and predictions show next week. See ya. Bye for now. <laughs>